This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Back to the Swamp 24-7 Podcast. I'm your host, Thomas Goldcamp. Today's show coming at you after Florida managed to knock off USF 42-20 on Saturday in Raymond James Stadium. For today's episode, it'll be just me. Uh, Blake Alderman ended up getting a new laptop, my co-host. And uh, for some reason, his laptop does not have a uh, USB connector. I don't know. The way they're making laptops these days, uh, I had it happen to me with my laptop. doesn't have a, an Ethernet cable. His doesn't have a USB port, so he had to order uh, some kind of special part so that he could plug in his audio equipment, his mic. And uh, to be honest with you, just didn't really want to do both of us with uh, different sounding audio, you know, uh, low quality audio. So I'm going to go ahead and do the podcast by myself today, but hopefully uh, it will be just as enjoyable for you guys. Obviously coming out of that USF game, first thing we got to talk about is the quarterbacks. This is obviously going to be a huge story for Florida, I think throughout the season at this point. Emory Jones, you know, came out, we were hoping uh, I think if you're a Florida fan, that that he would really kind of turn it around after a shaky week one, especially after Anthony Richardson really showed what he could do and, and showed that he was extremely explosive. Well, Emory Jones comes out really rough first series. I think kind of had everybody back into that same headspace where it's like, oh, no, here we go again. Uh, on his first throw of the game, was a little bit late on a curl route, ends up falling incomplete two plays later. He's able to avoid some pressure in the pocket off the, the side of John DeLance on the right side. Uh, but then Emory Jones just fires a pass over his receiver past the first down marker, incomplete, three and out to start the game. Um, unfortunately, you know, that started off kind of as a harbinger for, for the rest of the game and, and what was to come. Now, having said that, I thought Emory Jones bounced back very, very, very well after that first series and put together a very, very good first half. And in fact, I was writing for Swamp 24-7 a, a list of five takeaways from the game when Florida's up 35-3. to Emory Jones is cooking. Anthony Richardson's cooking. Uh, I had kind of already started to write about how this was the perfect setup for Dan Mullen. That, you know, Emory Jones had bounced back. Now he's got a confident starter. And all of a sudden, you also have a very competent, explosive backup. Going into Alabama, this is exactly how you would script it. Didn't end up finishing that way, obviously. Emory Jones in the second half, a lot more struggles through two very bad interceptions. Anthony Richardson, once again, every time he seemed to get in, just made things happen. And so after the game, I mean, the questions were coming to Dan Mullen. He got him last week coming off the field from SEC Network analyst Cole Kublik. Uh, and I think Mullen's reaction coming off the field last week against Florida Atlantic kind of surprised people when he was asked when you have to make a decision on your starting quarterback. He kind of got a little bit prickly. And basically, he was like, what are you talking about? We have a starting quarterback. Well, another weekend, another week of very similar results. And uh, I, I want to go ahead and since I don't have Blake here on the podcast, what we'll do in this episode with just me, I'll play a couple clips from the post-game press conferences of both Dan Mullen and Emory Jones, and that way you can kind of listen to their takes, listen to what they have to say on this quarterback situation. And so 
First and foremost, I think, let's hear what Dan Mullen had to say directly after the game. These are the first, very, very first questions that reporters had to him about Anthony Richardson. Obviously, Anthony Richardson pulled up following an 80-yard touchdown run late in the game with a uh, hamstring injury. All eyes are going to be on that this week. believe he was set to get an MRI either late last night or early this morning. And we'll have more, hopefully, on that uh, on Swamp 24-7, either from us or from Dan Mullen in the next 24 hours. Uh, But here's what Dan Mullen had to say about Anthony Richardson directly after the game. Very first questions he's asked in his press conference. Take a listen. I mean, Anthony Richardson, my God, it just it's like every time he touches the ball, he does something special. What would you think of his performance tonight and or today? And what's his stat health? Is he is was that a pulled hammy? What is it? A yeah, cramp? I think his hamstring tightened up on him. Um, yeah, he does special things. Doesn't always do the right thing, but he does special things. You know, uh, so you know we got to keep coaching him to 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 be efficient and and make sure we're making all the right reads. Well, I mean, Dan, you know, you know how fan bases are. I mean, we're watching the game up here. What is he not doing to? I mean, I, I I can, I mean, I'm not, it'll bore you. I mean, what, what, what is it? It'll bore you actually though, but I mean, we're pretty lucky. We have two quarterbacks that are pretty talented guys can make plays happen out there on the field. Uh, But there's a lot of things you got to read. There's a lot that the quarterback has to do. A lot of different reads that are out there on the field. Does that make sense? I mean, a lot. And you're like, Oh, what a spectacular run. I I mean, his, the read, the long touchdown was, was great read. He read, he read it properly. Broke a tackle, scored a touchdown. All right. First of all, I just want to say thank you to our fans. Uh, that was a, a great environment uh, today. It was great to see. I guess we got the double pressure going. Uh, but I mean, there's, there's, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 I have great appreciation. Our fans have great appreciation of, you know, watching things and watching great athletes out there on the field. And great guys make uh, make great plays out there on the field. We're pretty fortunate. We have two quarterbacks right now uh, that can make great plays out there on the field. Um, play both of them. Both of them. I thought we were pretty efficient in the first half. Both of them were so so at times with different situations in the second half with things that go on. Uh, you know, uh, there, it's a long season, and we have young quarterbacks that I got to continue to grow and continue to develop into being really good football players. Sort of building off of that a little bit, uh, other than just the reads and things like that on the field, is there any sort of, I guess, sense of loyalty and seniority that sort of goes into who's starting versus who's not? Nope. nope. We're we're trying to win football games. You know what I mean? mean, My responsibility is to put put everybody on the team in position to win. And there's an awful lot that goes into that, you know? And I, I, I I know everybody loves just looking at the two quarterbacks. There's 10 other guys on the field on every single snap until I put in our two-quarterback offense, which I haven't shown yet. Then there's only nine other guys on the field. But, the, uh, you know, when you look at those things, uh, my job is to put us in a best position to win football games and develop this football program to be the best it can be, and that's what we're doing. There you have it. You know, I think uh, first and foremost, those audio issues – Welcome to Zoom in 2021. Still can't quite figure out the in-stadium Zoom issues. That was not on my end on the podcast. That's actually what we heard during the press conference. Uh, Gets a little frustrating at times. But anyway, I I think there's a couple things to consider here when you talk about quarterbacks. I think, first and foremost, I think it's important to understand 
Dan Mullen's philosophy, right, on quarterbacks. And some of that we know from what he said. Some of that we know from what he's done over the years, both at Mississippi State, even back to his early Florida days as an offensive coordinator. Um, And I think at this point it should come as no surprise that Dan Mullen, even if he says there that he doesn't necessarily favor seniority, um, I I don't think it's, it's necessarily favoring seniority for seniority's sake, but there's no doubt that Dan Mullen really, really prefers his quarterbacks to be older, to have been through you know, some tough games. Uh, I think that's why you saw Emory Jones get involved as a true freshman against Georgia, those kind of things in, in big bowl games, that kind of thing. There's no doubt that he prefers a guy that has been through it, that he knows how they're going to react to that kind of thing. Um, but I think the other thing you have to consider is what Dan Mullen says in press conferences is an attempt to control the message. And not that I think he's being dishonest per se, um, But I think that he is using what he says in press conferences to manage the message to his quarterbacks as well. You know, because he can talk to Emory Jones. He can talk to Anthony Richardson. You know, if if Dan Mullen was going to start Anthony Richardson against Alabama, he could very well call in Anthony Richardson and Emory Jones to his office this morning, talk to them about that move before he talks to anybody in the press. So these guys know what Dan Mullen is going to plan to do. Like, they know before the press does. But... They also are out there reading, you know, things in the media. They have fans and friendly that, you know, friends and family that will send them articles, that kind of thing, you know. So he's also got to manage the the behind the scenes, how these guys are processing psychologically, how they're doing. And I think the biggest thing that you see with Dan Mullen's history of coaching quarterbacks is that he believes confidence is key. Confidence is the number one factor. That's why he won't throw in a true freshman in there. That's why he won't typically throw in a redshirt freshman as the guy because when you get into a situation inevitably where those guys are overwhelmed and this happens even to experienced starters like Kyle Trask from time to time eventually when they get to that place you have the potential to really destroy their confidence and really impact their development and I think that's the biggest thing for Dan Mullen that he would like to avoid with an Anthony Richardson who clearly clearly has a ton of natural talent um I think the bigger question we need to figure out is, does Dan Mullen really, really, truly believe that Emory Jones is the guy slash can be fixed from what we've seen the first two weeks versus, I guess, the upside, the upshot of if you move to Anthony Richardson now and take a little bit of a gamble on the fact that he may have some rough games, he may have some what we'd like to call freshman growing pains. Are you okay with that? Is that going to set him back? you know, to a point that you can't recover from. I think that's all part of the equation. But then I think the other simple, I would say fact, but obviously I'm, I'm purely speculating, I'm guessing here. I think based on everything we've heard from Dan Mullen so far, I think what we're hearing is you would like to have both quarterbacks available, right? And so I think the, the easiest way you do that is first and foremost, you can't lose Emory Jones, right? He came into the season as your starter, uh, there's only one direction it goes for him. You know, if he comes into the season, he's the starter, he's the guy. The only way it can go for Emory Jones is he loses confidence and no longer becomes a guy you can rely on, no longer becomes a quarterback you can trust to go in games. And that's true if you start Anthony Richardson. That can also be true if Emory's just struggling as the starter himself, which unfortunately is what we're seeing right now. And so I think I go back to, the, you know, the difference between the first half of yesterday's game against USF and the second half 
it, you know, you go from having it being a perfect scenario where you have Emery coming in with a lot of confidence after that first half. Unfortunately, the second half undoes all that. And so really what happened is, unfortunately, Emery Jones in the second half of that USF game and really the first two games of this season, in my opinion, has kind of played Dan Mullen into a tough spot. Because if you're Dan Mullen in the second half of that game yesterday, all of a sudden Emery goes in, has a rough first series or two in the third quarter, instead of you know, being able to automatically get Anthony Richardson more reps, split 50-50, knowing you really probably need both of these quarterbacks available, especially if one's not getting it done against Alabama, you'd like to go to the other. You'd like to have Anthony Richardson have a lot more experience. And then I think that's where fans are coming from. Not necessarily that they need Anthony Richardson to be the guy out there for the first snap against Alabama. Don't get me wrong. I think every fan wants that right now. Um, And I would agree with, you know, that probably being the best case scenario. But forget all that. Forget the forget the starter designation. Okay, if Florida's going to play two, you would have liked to see Anthony Richardson get closer to 50-50 reps yesterday, so that he's got his work in the passing game. He only gets three passing attempts yesterday, so you're not really working on things that you know either a he needs reps on in live game scenarios, or b that you're exposing him to exactly those kind of situations that you're worried about not knowing how he's going to handle for the first time. Why not get Anthony Richardson those reps against a USF rather than an Alabama? And I think that's where a lot of the frustration comes in for fans. But again, I go back to if you're watching how the game plays out, all of a sudden you have this dynamic where Dan Mullen now doesn't want to lift Emory Jones midway through the third quarter because now he's thrown the interception. He's thrown the second interception. If you pull him now, you lose the confidence. And all of a sudden, if you lose the confidence for Emory Jones, you're essentially down to one quarterback that you can really rely on. And I think that's a problem for Florida, especially as talented as we've seen him be, as athletic as Anthony Richardson is. I think that's a problem for Florida because you don't know how that experiment is necessarily going to play out. Now, is there more upside in playing that? We'll talk about that in a minute. But first off, I want to give kind of the second half of the interaction between Dan Mullen and the media, where in my mind, Dan Mullen almost got a little bit defensive uh, in in defending his position on Emory Jones. And again, I go back to, you know, don't necessarily focus on what Dan Mullen's saying in the media. It's going to be more about his actions. But we'll talk about that right after we listen to this clip about Dan Mullen breaking down Emory Jones's interceptions. I think it's very important. And I think the way that Mullen responds, as you'll hear in this clip, is probably something that rubs fans the wrong way. Um, but we'll discuss it right after you guys listen directly yourselves. Hey, Dan, how do you think Emory responded after the interceptions? Uh, he was fine. You know, he was fine. Came back in, managed, you know, continued to manage the game. Uh, you know, and that those are just some growing mistakes. First one was a bad one. The second one, he's just got to speed up his read. He was just late on the throw uh, on the second one. Um, so, you know, but those are those those are things you got to continue to learn. I, I thought he played much better this week than last week, uh, in in the first half for sure. And I think we kind of got just sloppy in the second half. And you got to execute every single snap of the game. There's there's so few opportunities. And, and let me ask the obvious question. Last week you said obviously Emory is still the starter. Is he still the starter? Yeah. What? Well, yeah. Yes. <laughs> As I said, we have two really good quarterbacks. You'll see both of them play every single game. I, you know what? You never ask. Why don't I ask who the starting running back is? Who started today? When, when fans start asking me all the time who's going to start at running back, I'll ask. Who started at running back today? Do you know? Malik. 
Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, cool. Because we have really good running backs. We roll those guys through. We're pretty fortunate at quarterback, too. So, you know, that, that clip, I think, is going to rub fans a little bit the wrong way. And the obvious reason for that is Florida is pretty deep at running back. You know, the running backs have been very good. And it's not a situation where you have the starting running back. You know, Malik Davis goes in and is suddenly just not performing. And then they, you know, aren't making a change. Whereas at quarterback, at least on paper, it seems very clear that Anthony Richardson is outperforming Emory Jones. And for whatever reason, what Dan Mullen is saying in the media is very much a pushback on the idea that Anthony Richardson is ready for the starting role that Emory Jones is not. And, you know, in a lot of ways, that's going to define, I think, somewhat the narrative of how this season goes. Um, I know that the word stubborn has been thrown around by the fans. I'll say this. Look, and I said this yesterday during the game. No coach probably in the entirety of college football is going to get the kind of leeway to run his quarterback room the way he wants to as Dan Mullen without being criticized, right? He is going to have more, you know, give from the media before they start questioning him than almost anybody. Having said that, it seems pretty clear to me, and I've been around this Florida fan base since 2007, okay? Uh, Whatever that is, 14 years. I've been doing this job for about 11 years now. I know when Florida fans are, are, are ready to turn. And, and Dan Mullen risks losing a significant chunk of the fan base over this decision, how it's playing out publicly. And again, what they say behind closed doors, I believe is a completely different thing. I think what Dan Mullen says in the media, it ends up on ESPN. It ends up on your, you know, your, your local newspaper. It ends up, the quotes end up everywhere. But what he says isn't as important as what he does. The problem is right now what he's doing is not what a lot of fans would do, think should happen, think is the obvious thing that should happen. So I would say, let's be patient. Florida hasn't played a real opponent yet. Um, I I think there's two ways it can go from here, right? I think either Dan Mullen is pretty well aware that that what he has with Emery probably isn't working, and hopefully he's not stubborn enough to try to force that. So let's see what happens against Alabama. Maybe it does become a 50-50 split, and and a 50-50 split meaning a 50-50 split of the actual offense, Anthony Richardson being able to throw more often. Let's see how the game goes. The other way I think it could go is Dan Mullen really doesn't give Anthony Richardson a whole lot of run in this Alabama game. Emory Jones kind of sinks himself. And guess what? You go forward with the one quarterback. Emory Jones's confidence ends up shot. But at this point, you have an easy transition to Anthony Richardson after the Alabama game, and then he becomes your starter. I don't love that idea. I, I don't think Dan Mullen, I, if I had to guess, that's probably not how it goes. I think Florida's going to play to win this Alabama game. And if that means playing Anthony Richardson a lot, I kind of believe Dan Mullen will do that. I hope that he's not so stubborn that it stays locked in on Emory. Um, I also think, you know, in the first two games, and maybe we'll talk about this a little bit more in the second half of the podcast, Florida has very much played to practice things. And and I'll show you in certain spots where that's happened. But I guess my problem right now with the quarterback situation is what I've seen from Emory Jones. And, And after the first half yesterday, I would have said, Maybe this isn't an issue, but the second half really confirmed a lot of these fears, a lot of these doubts. What Emory Jones struggles with at the quarterback position is just hard to fix. It's it's processing a little bit too slowly. I mentioned on the podcast last week what stood out to me after rewatching Emory Jones in the season opener against Florida Atlantic. It just seemed like he was overthinking everything. Like he knows mentally exactly what he's looking at in terms of, you know, what he saw pre-snap, what he was thinking. 
and then coming off the field, what ended up happening, he can break down what happened post-snap for you, and he can tell you exactly where the decision he made was wrong. The problem is, when it happens, it's supposed to happen like that, and for Emory Jones, it's happening a tick slower than that, and you see it even on some some good throws. I pointed out on one of those checkdowns last week, a uh, really, really good decision to not force it down the field, but if he throws it a split second sooner, you have a lot more green grass to run into, and because that timing is a little bit off, you're, you're negating a lot of the chance for the offense to move after the play. You see that even on good throws, that's a problem, right? The, ideally, you, you're late every once in a while. That's not a big deal. This, to me, looks like a systemic issue with Emory Jones, where he knows what he's seeing, but he can't process it quickly enough. Here's Emory Jones breaking down his two interceptions after the game, and I think you hear a little bit more of it, but listen for yourself, and I'll talk to you a little bit more about what I mean by this. Personally, it was just bad read, bad decision um, for me. Uh, I didn't think the guy was going to run out that fast, but he did. I was trying to get out my hands quick before he could make a decision, but I mean, he made a great play and I made a bad decision right there. The second one, um, that was another bad decision out of me. I was I was waiting for another guy to come over and I was late uh, getting back to Trent. So, I mean, I shouldn't have thrown that ball. That was a, um, a terrible decision out of me. I mean, again, you can hear it there. He knows what he was looking at on the first one. And I think a little bit later in the press conference, he actually talked about that first interception as well. The guy that picked it off, who was kind of sitting underneath inside, uh, he expected him to buzz out of his area based on what he had seen previously in the game. So again, I, I think the X's and O's, when when you talk to, I think the thing that I've I've noticed in my years covering college football is when a player is saying all the right things and can do it on the whiteboard, can, can show you the X's and O's exactly explain what happened, explain what went wrong. Coaches are very likely to believe that that player can fix it. I think the most prominent example for me came in 2014 with Jeff Driscoll. Guy had an outstanding fall camp. Uh, Everybody was raving about him. I covered a lot of those practices in person. So this isn't just like, you know, kind of what we had last two years, unfortunately, where it's us, you know, relaying information from sources. This was me firsthand seeing it, which I trust a little bit more. Again, not a, not a football expert by any means, but when I can see it, I kind of, I, I feel like I can piece together what's going on. I saw it with Jeff Driscoll. He knows what he's looking at, knows what he's supposed to do. And in practice, when you're going against the same defense, the same Florida defense over and over again, you get used to their tendencies and that helps your processing a little bit. When you're going against other defenses on Saturdays, you don't necessarily know what they're going to do every time. You, you're They're going to throw looks at you that you're not familiar with. And so that processing isn't quite as you know as quick as it would be in a practice. I think that's what we're seeing with Emory Jones. I don't know if that gets fixed. And to be perfectly honest with you, I don't know that Anthony Richardson is going to be any better at that. But I do know right now that Anthony Richardson's playing with a ton of confidence. And going back to the, the first clip with Dan Mullen, when he talked about the 11, you know 10 other guys on the field or nine other guys, if they have their two quarterbacks both on the field, my problem is the other 10 guys are playing better when Anthony Richardson is in there. The end result does not lie. And, and Dan Mullen can talk about Anthony Richardson missing reads all he wants. And, you know, you guys can only look at the big explosive plays and that. The problem is Anthony Richardson was three for three passing. Like, what else do you want him to do on those three passes? I don't care if he made the wrong read. You're talking about 152 yards and three passes. You're talking about four carries for 115 yards. What else does he need to do? Now, if you're Dan Mullen, you're probably saying that's not going to happen on a bigger sample size. You're absolutely right. There's no way Anthony Richardson's going to replicate that. The question is, is it better than Emory Jones? And I think that what we're seeing here, again, I go back to confidence. 
Dan Mullen needs his quarterbacks to have confidence. And unfortunately, the way it has played out right now, Dan Mullen, I think, is very much playing a game of confidence roulette right now. And it's almost this pendulum where um, the more Emory Jones struggles, the more fans are likely to build up Anthony Richardson. And and anything Anthony Richardson does is going to be highlighted, magnified, elevated, because if Emory struggles one play and then Anthony Richardson comes in the next and has a very positive result, fans are naturally going to want to see more of Anthony Richardson. So I, I think it's a dangerous setup for Dan Mullen. Uh, I, I don't think he's in any danger of losing the locker room yet. But I do think, again, it, it needs to be about his actions. And at some point, in my opinion, his actions are going to have to be to make a more meaningful shift to Anthony Richardson because the players see it, the fans see it, everybody sees it. It doesn't matter what Dan Mullen says in a press conference, but he's going to have to manage this. And nobody in college football is probably better at managing a quarterback room. But right now, the way that Dan Mullen is publicly approaching it is creating some scrutiny. And that's that's just the bottom line. And that's where it's going to go. We'll see how it plays out in this Alabama game. You know, we could be sitting here in a week absolutely raving about Dan Mullen and how he managed it because of how they play against Alabama. We don't know that. What we know is the first two games. We know what we've seen from Emory Jones in terms of processing speed, being able to get the ball out in time. We know what we've seen from Anthony Richardson. Right now, it seems an open and shut case that Richardson should be getting more snaps. I believe that. I also believe that Dan Mullen should be afforded some leeway. And I think don't listen to what he says in press conferences. Let's see what happens against Alabama. Let's see what happens the following week against Tennessee. That's going to tell us a whole lot more. I'm actually getting a little bit rambly here, though, for for just being me. I, I just looked down. We're 25 minutes in. Haven't taken a break. But let's take a quick break, and then I'll be back with my other thoughts from the game. I know we talked a lot about quarterbacks. There's a lot of other stuff to get to, too. I mean, that's not the only thing uh, that's going to impact this Alabama game the rest of the season. And I want to hand out some helmet stickers because I thought there were a number of individual performances that were very good. I'll be right back right after a quick break. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Welcome back to the Swamp 24-7 podcast. I'm your host, Thomas Goldcamp, talking Florida USF, 42-21, to 42-20 to 20 win for the Gators. Man, I'm struggling today. Not enough coffee. Um, you know, 
I think a lot of people expected a more clean game from Florida. The second half, I think, is going to leave a lot of people concerned. So I, I, let's break down a couple things. Defensively, I thought the front seven was excellent early in the game. Two sacks on the first series. I think the defensive front seven can be really, really good. I think the defensive inconsistency in the second half, in some ways I'm not concerned, in some ways I am. And the reasons I'm concerned are... I don't know if the talent and the depth is there. I do have one or two schematic questions, and we'll talk about that more in a second. Um, but against a team like USF, it, it should be easier. I mean, this is a USF team that was absolutely terrible. I, I hate to make week one comparisons, honestly, and I'm going to do it. So I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. But, I mean, look, USF lost to NC State 45-0, to zero, right? They shouldn't. USF should not be scoring 20 on Florida. I'm sorry, even against the backups. They just shouldn't. And I, I said that yesterday on Twitter. I, I understand that Florida's rotating a ton of backups in there. Point is, Florida should be talented enough that against a very, very bad Power 5 team like that, you should be better. You should just line up and be better than them. And I don't, don't think we saw that. Now, my issues with the way the defense was handled in the second half, I, I, I'm still not sure enough of what we've got out of Florida starters, and it, mainly in the back end. I think the front seven I feel very confident about. I also think Florida's coaches have a good idea, kind of what they've got to work with in the front seven. I, I don't see enough in the secondary yet to really be rotating, especially that safety spot. And, and maybe they're rotating heavily because they're not sure either, and they want to you know have a better idea who can maybe do it. Um, I, I think the front seven has the potential to be absolutely game wrecking. I think that that's if, if Florida's going to win the game against Alabama, one, it's going to be turnovers. They have to avoid them offensively. But two, that defensive front seven has to really control the game. And I don't think that's going to be easy. But I think if healthy, Florida has a chance to do that. Uh, schematically, there's a couple things I still have issue with. A couple couple things underneath. There's there's some individual coverages. I, I'm not an X's and O's expert. Uh, so I don't, I don't even really want to get into that. I'll, I'll leave that for people. The Gator Nation Football Podcast—they do a great job breaking down X's and O's. A couple other places, uh, top billing. Uh, I know a couple places do a really good job of that. That's not my strength, so I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna dive too much into that. I, I do think that Florida played a lot more press yesterday against yesterday against USF, and I thought it went very well for the most part. I mean, there there are certain times where they're still playing off. Um, I think the biggest issue for Florida isn't so much the press coverage. I think it's more reflective of the fact that Florida is very young in the secondary. And the biggest problem we see is a lot of times there's guys in position, but they're panicking late when the ball gets there. To me, that's Avery Helm right now. Avery Helm, we heard all offseason about how athletic he was, you know, supposedly ran a 4-3 in the 40, 40-inch vertical jump. I mean, guy's just an off-the-books athlete. And I think we've seen that from him. He's gotten beat deep a couple times, but nine times out of 10, what we see is him recovering, great recovery speed, but then ends up interfering a lot of pass interference so far um just not very good at playing the ball in the air we saw that with jason marshall yesterday as well you know he got a pass interference play on a on a play i thought he could have had a pick on if he turned around his head and got eyes on the ball it you know if i'm being honest this this secondary reminds me a whole lot of 2011 you know when will muschamp was in his first year had a lot of young very very talented guys that would go on to the nfl cody riggs jalen watkins marcus roberson luchez purifoy but if you remember back to that 2011 season, and I'm 90% sure I have my year right, it might have, I don't think it was 12, because 12 was the year they were pretty subtle and very good defensively. But it's 2011. I remember specifically Jalen Watkins was a guy that played a lot at nickel, and they, they rotated Cody Riggs there. 
The problem was those guys were always in the right spot, but never turned their head on the ball. You know, and, and I remember that Georgia game that year. Jalen Watkins, it was time after time. Georgia's completing passes over these guys, contested catches. And that's a lot what we see with Avery Helm and Jason Marshall right now. They're just not getting their head turned around. And that's that's very much a youth thing, I think. I think those guys can get better. But what I think we're seeing is the secondary has questions in the starting unit. And that's where I get a little hesitant to to endorse all the rotation defensively that we've seen in the second half. So I'd like to see that starting unit be able to pitch a complete shutout, have a lot of confidence. You know, Todd Grantham, the defensive staff, probably has a better gauge on where the team's at mentally. And I think if you listen to some of the veterans, Jeremiah Moon, Zach Carter, after these games, I think they feel like the defense played a lot better than the fans come out of it feeling like they did because those guys are coming out mid-third quarter and they're not playing a whole lot. So for their part of the game, you know, they're holding FAU to a shutout to 210 yards before those final two drives of the fourth quarter. They're holding USF to three points in the first half. You know, other than the long 17-play drive early in the game, they didn't do a whole lot against Florida starters. So I understand that, you know, Florida's coaches probably sense there's a lot of confidence from the defense too. Um, and I think they are trying to build depth. It's going to, it's going to, we'll see how that plays out. Um, I, I'm not, I'm bouncing back and forth a lot between, I think the defense has a ton of potential. We haven't seen it put together yet. And I understand the reasons for concern from a lot of fans, but I also think we haven't seen them kind of full focus an entire game where they don't go to learning mode, so to speak, the down the depth chart development that we see. Um, and so I, I would say I was generally encouraged by the defense again. I don't think they're ready for Alabama. I, I think I have a little bit of question marks about the trenches. I think we need to see less rotation there. I mean, Zach Carter's a guy that should be playing 60 snaps against Alabama. I mean, that's where he came back to school. This is where you make your money. He said, you know, SEC championship game last year was one of the main reasons he comes back in order to boost his stock, but also to help Florida get over the hump. This is a chance to do that. Um, I, so I'm not fully convinced that the defense is way better. I do think it's got the pieces. I think there's some things to watch defensively. Ventrell Miller left the game yesterday with what looked like an elbow injury. That's a big injury for Florida. I don't, you know, I don't know that Miller is a difference maker, but I do know that, you know, uh, some of the other guys Florida hasn't really trusted as much. You know, Tyron Hopper, my initial impression yesterday was, that was a little bit maybe more of a mixed bag performance from him. Whereas most of the last couple of years when he's gotten in, we've, you know, we've seen limited bits, but it's all been very positive. So I, I think, you know, depth at linebacker slash playmaking ability at linebacker still a little bit in question for me. Elijah Blades out at cornerback. We talked about that second corner spot. I think that's going to be a spot that has, you know, growing pains this year. And, and Elijah Blades being out to another body that you could potentially roll in there, you know, to see if he can handle it better. He's hurt right now, apparently. Uh, we'll ask Dan Mullen about that on Monday. But anyway, I, I've talked a lot about concerns. Let's talk about the positives. Helmet stickers, first off, and then, we'll, and then we'll wrap it up. Florida's running backs, I continue to think they're very, very solid. I thought Damian Pierce had an excellent drive. You know, he was really the guy that, uh, you know, four-play drive on the second drive of the game where Emory Jones kind of bounces back quickly with a 20-yard pass on his first throw of that drive, and then all Damian Pierce to the end zone. Just an absolutely, you know, bulldozing style of running. I thought he was really good. Malik Davis, we saw in the opener, was really, really good. Naquan Wright, seven carries for 36 yards yesterday. Florida's deep at running back, man. I, I give that entire unit a helmet sticker. I know in the offseason, Greg Knox got a lot of uh, flack kind of thrown his way from a lot of the diehard fans, I think mostly over recruiting. Uh, but his position unit's playing well. So, I, you know, that group gets, gets a helmet sticker from me. Jacob Copeland, another guy very, very quiet in the opener. And 
I kind of joked about it on Twitter, man. His first three passes came from Anthony Richardson, two of them deep bombs. Uh, if you're Jacob Copeland, man, you better start shoveling some of that NIL money to Anthony Richardson because he deserves it. But excellent game for Jacob Copeland. And for a guy that I think at least early on in his career was very motivated or demotivated by playing time, by production, I think it's good that you have a performance ahead of Alabama to make sure he's completely locked in. Five catches, 175 yards, two touchdowns. That's the kind of games you want to see from Jacob Copeland. Awesome. Helmet sticker for me. Next group. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a helmet sticker to John Hevesy, the offensive line coach. And uh, we'll have to see. John DeLance got hurt in the game, came out, I believe was on crutches. Um, and so we'll have to see his health st- status going forward. But Florida's line, to me, has played really, really well. I thought the run blocking, we talked about it all offseason, all last year. Thought was a weakness last year. I, I think it's a strength this year. I don't think it's an overpowering unit yet, but they're getting where they need to be. And I think the mobility from the guards, especially, is something I pointed out after week one. Those guys are pulling a lot better. They're getting into open space to make blocks. Uh, I give that entire unit a helmet sticker. The reason I give John Hevesy one in, in this particular week, I said this USF game because they're an overmatched opponent, because it's the last chance before Alabama. I thought Josh Braun needed to get 50% of the snaps. Uh, I don't have an exact snap count in front of me, and I know one of our awesome posters on Swamp 24-7 has gone through, and he does an unofficial snap count every game. Seems very reliable based on everything I've compared it to with PFF snap counts, pro football focus. Um, so go check it out there. I, again, I haven't looked at this. I like to do this podcast kind of flying blind on Sunday, so you get kind of more raw reaction. And then after I watch the film, which I'll, I'll, I'll write about on Swamp 24-7, I'll post an in-depth breakdown. I'll come back Monday with Blake, and we'll talk about some takeaways now that we've had kind of a level head but not only did Josh Braun I thought get pretty close to 50% of the snaps just from watching it on live view but Florida got Michael Tarquin involved very early and very often both tackle spots they got uh, Richie Leonard involved as the backup center and I thought there was a clear focus to really start to develop that top eight on the O-line I think you know who the key backups are obviously right now Josh Braun's going to back up either guard spot and obviously, you know, as well, Stuart Reese can swing guard to tackle. He's an option there. Uh, again, with John DeLance's injury unknown, you know, we'll see. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I just thought it was very positive that Florida was able to get so many guys involved on the O-line. I think that eventually gives you the potential if things aren't going well at a certain spot. I know we saw it in the LSU game a little bit last year where Braun kind of came in and replaced. You want to have that in case one guy's having a particularly bad game or, you know, gets a knock on the ankle and isn't moving quite as well. I thought Florida really set that up in this game. So helmet sticker to John Hevesy. Defensive side of the ball, I've got three to hand out. And I'll be quick with this because I know we're running a little bit past our normal 30-minute episode. Zach Carter and Jeremiah Moon. Zach's on the first series. I think Zach Carter is an absolute monster right now. I mean, he is unstoppable. If Florida's going to win the game against Alabama, Zach Carter is going to be one of the main reasons why. He's absolutely destructive, nearly unblockable on the edge. And Jeremiah Moon, who's a guy who's gotten a lot of criticism from many Florida fans, he's showing up in a big way. And I think he's shown a lot of versatility to be able to move all over the formation defensively, kind of disguise where he's coming from. That's what Todd Grantham's system, when it works really well, you've got guys that can do that and be successful, not just at their edge rushing spot, but moving inside, uh, you know, standing over the A gap, the B gap, whatever. Backing off into coverage, Jeremiah Moon has emerged into a guy that can do all that. Can he do all that effectively against an Alabama, a more physical team? We're going to find out. But for now, I'm a sticker for him. He's had an excellent first two weeks of the season. The final guy was a guy that I wanted to see a lot more of coming out of week one, Jadarius Perkins. 
We talked about Trevez Johnson, not really sold on him in the slot right now. Jadarius Perkins is the guy that has played in both the slot and outside. To me, he's the guy that's got to play more in Florida secondary. If you're looking for the best five, he's absolutely in it to me right now. And I think the biggest reason is what we talked about in the first half of the podcast, uh, or I guess early in the second half of the podcast, Florida's younger defensive backs just aren't quite getting their head around and making plays on the ball. And Jadarius Perkins is. He's the guy that's breaking on the ball very quickly, able to disrupt it. Kyrie Elam also in that same mold. I think, you know, he has that natural instinct to be able to do it. I think the younger guys will, but they're still developing that. It's, you know, they're still swimming a little bit. Jadarius Perkins is a guy that seems to already have it, in my opinion, is also playing very, very physically towards the line of scrimmage. Got to be in there a lot against Alabama to me. So those are my helmet stickers, guys. Um, I'm sure there's more to talk about. That's why we have a Monday episode. I'll get Blake hopefully on here. Hopefully his piece gets delivered today. And then we'll be able to break down, uh, hopefully have a, a couple more in-depth thoughts. Um, you know, maybe talk a little bit more with Blake about the quarterback situation and how he sees it. But for today's episode of the podcast, guys, that will do it. I'm Thomas Goldcamp. This is the Swamp 24-7 Podcast. If you like the episode on YouTube, be sure to like the video. It helps us reach more people. Hit subscribe if you're not already subscribed to the channel. You'll get instant notifications whenever we upload a new podcast or a new video. And then if you're listening on a typical podcast type venue, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever, be sure to leave us this favorable review. Again, helps us reach more people, makes us feel really good inside. Um, you know, we, we put a lot of time into these. Uh, hopefully you guys enjoy them. So if you do, help us out a little bit and we will see you tomorrow with the next edition of the Swamp 24-7 podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.